Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power 5 men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Joining us on the podcast for the first time today is a man you may know best as a, a guy who went 79-1 and one during his prep career at Franklin County High School. Of course, now we know him best as the head coach of the Arkansas men's tennis team. Welcome to the show, Coach Andy Jackson. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. And just a correction, my team went 79-1. and one. I probably went 1-79. I was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got carried along along the way. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, we'll drag you to this record. No, <laughs> still super impressive. And for what it's worth, I know you are nearing year forty in your coaching tenure. Does not look that at all. And the fact that you can play forty years of doubles points and still have any hair on your head, bravo, coach. That is just genes. I wish I could match, but of course that gets me to where I want to start today's podcast. And again, closing in on year forty. You know, your first coaching uh, season back nine. 1984 with the Mississippi State women's coach. You're now obviously here in 2022 coaching this season. What keeps you gravitating towards the game of college tennis for this long? I love uh, tennis. Uh, I love college tennis. It's been my life. And I don't feel like that I work and uh, don't feel any, uh, any resistance to get out of bed and try to compete in the SEC. So um, it's been a, been a pleasure and hopefully, you know, got some years to go. If there was one match in your tenure you could recoach, do you know what it is? Do you like automatically think top of your head? Oh, it's this. Yeah, nineteen ninety eight, uh, Stanford in the semis of the NCAA. Um, 
you know, it was a super team looking back now. Everybody thinks it was a super team. I kind of thought we had the better team. I probably framed the match the wrong way. Uh, you know, th they, they beat us pretty bad, but we could have won. I would like to have that one over. It is so fascinating to hear you say that because uh, that was a question I wanted to get to down the road. You've seen a lot of good teams. When I've talked to coaches, players, 98 Stanford is the one, you know, of the modern era. You go back to the 60s, 70s, whatever. There were some Trinity teams that were amazing. I get that. Right. But you look, that 1998 team, which, of course, most notably Brian's, Coach Goldstein, uh, but, of course, Alex Kim, eventual NCAA champion, playing five singles. Were they that good? No, Alex playing six. Oh, say even better. Were they that good? Yeah, you have a top 100 guy in the world playing six. He was top 100 <laughs> years later yeah. you have the greatest doubles team of all time as freshmen you have you know uh uh goldstein just a phenomenal pro career you know at a certain level but a phenomenal pro career uh you know you have abrams at five who was their weak link that was obviously a really good player and the and a number of uh, a guy who would be number one in college playing four so it's a really good team and then you have coach gould mm -hmm. you uh, which is for a guy of my age, it's just hard to um, exaggerate how phenomenal uh, Coach Cool was at uh, organizing talent, coaching teams. And yeah, it, it, it was a great team. Yeah, and I love, by the way, that you go, but we should have beaten them. I love that. That's well, you know, we had the Thomas Dupree, who was mm -hmm. the you know been the national player of the year, beaten Paul a few times. Um, you know, Coach Gould made a tactical adjustment, pretty strong. At number two, uh, we had a guy who beat uh, Gustavo Querton at the Canadian a couple of years later. He was playing, I can't, I think he was playing Bob Bryan. He'd been up on Bob 6051 at the All American to lose. So we knew we had a chance there. At number three, we had a kid who'd been ranked number two for the majority of the year against, uh, I think, uh, Mike Bryan. At four, we had Marco Barron, a guy who's going to be number one in the nation mm -hmm. you know, two years later. At five, we had Jeremy Bayonne, who was, uh, you know, top 50 in the country. They were, we had, uh, 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 they were better than us at six by a good amount. Doubles, we were good as well. So, yeah, I thought, you know, uh, we had we had a chance. Yeah, I, I would say that, you know, Coach Gould would say the same thing. If he was on podcast. Yeah. But he outcoached me like he did so many times and they just crushed us. <laughs> no, that's that's half the fun. And, you know, the reason I bring that up as we look at what your team was able to accomplish last season at Arkansas, you guys go 10 and 15. And yet you look at that 10 and 15, you know, wins over Texas A&M, wins over Tennessee and, you know, good wins along the way throughout the course of your season is the you know I think at the top of college tennis it's probably still just as good as it's ever been. But is the depth now when you look at teams you know ranked twenty five to one hundred in the country has is that the biggest change in your tenure in college tennis? You hit the nail right on the head. The the top has always been good. It's always going to be good. I, it goes up and down some, but the depth is just like it's so much deeper. You know, in the eighties, nineties. You know, like like there was, you know, when I started, there was maybe three teams in the SEC women that were, you know, credibly, you know, coaching, working at it. And now, you know, it goes it goes 75 deep men and women. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I just think the talent across the board, again, it makes things so interesting. And when you look at what your team was able to do, and you start off the year with five straight victories, you know, you play a really nice, a tight 4-3 match against Oklahoma. Uh, obviously, you know, what did you learn throughout the course of, of the year from your team? You know, how difficult it was last season in particular, given it was a young, you know, you bring, what was it, six freshmen on the roster last season? I, I imagine, you know, that, that, you lose a hair or two throughout the course of a year. Um, yeah, you're right, uh, except for the part. It, it was a very enjoyable year. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is some, you know, like all coaches, I'm good with the excuses and the explaining. <laughs> um, you know, the last time that we had a fully healthy team, we lost at Oklahoma State 4-3. Mm-hmm. The rest of the year, uh, by far our best player, Alex Rico, was playing 60 70% healthy when I would play and I played him a lot because we were too young to have uh, chances against the uh, you know, top 25 teams without him. So when he was in the lineup, when he could play a little bit, you know, we were, in my opinion, clearly a top 25 team. But you know, we lost a lot because we, we didn't have him a lot. And when we did have him, he wasn't nearly um, playing the level that he was at last year so but the you know we obviously knew we could compete the top five level much less the top 25 we uh, you know it's not that we didn't get lucky against tennessee but we knew we uh could compete there or against a&m or whoever um so it was a really enjoyable experience last year because we had really good guys we were bought in we had some adversity that we didn't use as excuses during the year and we found a way to uh, beat people that uh, that other people didn't think that we could beat that we thought we could. Talking to other SEC men's coaches, they all have expressed how valuable the hidden duel matches you guys were able to play last fall were. And again, to point to this fact, six freshmen on the lineup. The thing, obviously, as talented as a freshman may be, you don't know how they're going to compete in a duel match until they actually are seen in that format. How valuable were those hidden duels to you? Do you think we see more of a trend emerge where teams will choose to play those hidden duels in the fall? I'd break it up into two different ways. Is that last year it was super valuable because uh, most other conferences and other places in tennis weren't getting a weren't able to play any tennis in the fall. So the hidden duels last fall were extremely valuable to the SEC. You know, I'm not. Um, I, there are some good things about hidden duels. I don't think that they're the way to go in the fall because, uh, you you know, um, there's not really incentives uh, for the best teams to play their best players. Um, And also it kind of uh, uh, makes um, players feel like, well, players don't have the chance to establish themselves as elite players. They always get stuck in the three hole, the six hole, the eight hole. When you play the All-American, you tell your guy, look, if you're so good, Win the All-American, you'll be number one in the nation. You can't say that going to a hidden duel. And I think the fall is should be more about, you know, trying to get ready for the team season as opposed to playing fake team matches. Mm-hmm. And so with that in mind, I'm curious what you view the role of the fall as, and you expressed it a bit there, but, you know, talking to all of these Power 5 coaches – it, it's confusing, right? Because on the one hand, all right, we play all these individual events. We play the All-American. We play the Fall Nats. We play the Regionals. And yet the NCAA individual tournament is in the spring. 
And, you know, again, you're doing all these, you know, for the ranking standpoint, sure, you win all these matches in the fall, and we have the December rankings, but Liam Draxel's not in the rankings. Emma Navarro's not in the rankings. They were both number one in the country at various points during last season, and it just, you know, again, I suppose most broadly, I know I touched on a bunch of things there, but what do you view the role of the fall as? I think the fall is like uh, spring football. Sure. Uh, you know, spring training camp. It's an extended period of practice and work to get players individually better. I think that the beauty of college tennis is that it's a it's a team sport, but I don't think it has to be a team sport the whole year. I think it basically should go from January to the NCAA uh, team tournament and then singles and doubles after in, in the spring. And in the fall, my opinion would be that uh, it should be about trying to develop players and get players better. And most importantly, give players opportunities to show what they can do. Team matches is really hard to do that. Mm-hmm. And you are pro keeping the NCAA individual tournament where it is? Uh, if we could come up with a way to incentivize fall play, Maybe I could, you know, understand a little bit of it, but I think it's going to be really hard to do that. I, I really think that that uh, in the ITA, that's that that we should be careful not to try to be making things better and we make it worse. Sure. The NCAA is, you know, for me, very prestigious. For you, very prestigious. If you're from France, you know, okay, it should be prestigious, but maybe it's not. Are those kids going to have the same incentive to? to uh, to play in the fall, you know, when they can choose between a 25 or a 50K and go play the All-American. Like, how are we going to incentivize that? The American's pretty easy to incentivize it. They're going to get a wild card. Internationals, they're not going to get a wild card. Uh, how's that going to work? You know, I haven't been able to get any, have anybody give me a straight answer as to how that could work. And so I would ha- I think we should leave it alone. I am here to offer you that answer, Coach. My solution, and the, okay. I mean, again, and it's a pipe dream. Let me be abundantly clear. But play, play NCAA individuals the second week of the U.S. Open. It's the second week. It is the grand stage. And look, college tennis is now an international sport. But the burden of it, and I say that lovingly, falls on the USTA. It is essentially a USTA enterprise. As such, why not highlight it at the granddaddy of them all on the tennis calendar in New York that second week now? I know there are problems. Will so any wait, athletic – oh, go ahead. Yeah, but what did you say, that, that college tennis was a USDA enterprise? Well, it just kind of is at this point. No, like I, okay. no, it's not. You know, like I don't work for the USDA. Um, you know, it's not a USDA enterprise, in, in my opinion. I appreciate your strong, your strong opinions. I just don't think it is. But it's an interesting thing. Uh, obviously, the big thing would be you couldn't have an NCAA championships in the next year. You know, like, like for us, that would be the summer's already over for – for for the next one yeah you think that the usta severely undervalues college tennis as a resource uh i i think that it's a slippery slope that uh, we love the usda but it's not you know like call it there's a separation in my opinion between the usda and college tennis that's fair would you say of the federations, of all the federations with a vested interest in college tennis, the USTA has the largest interest? Oh, by far. I mean, and it it, it has uh, reaped enormous benefits from it. A lot of times, 
not appreciated. Like I'm a <laughs> proponent of offering like um, a wild card to anybody that wins NCAA because yes. property that is college tennis, even if, uh, you know, Michael Pernfors won the NCAA and he got to play the U.S. Open, that would take away an opportunity from American. But American tennis would get a lot stronger because then you would have everybody in college tennis, foreign or American, believing they had a chance to play U.S. Open. So that was the point I was trying to make. I just didn't do it well. But yes, to everything you said there, yes, I agree. And that is why I think the USCA has the biggest incentive to promote college tennis, I suppose, at a stage like the U.S. Open. You're right. Athletic departments sponsoring seniors to come back, very difficult. You'd say maybe 0.1% of them would be willing to do it. That said, the other thing I I would suggest as part of an amenity to make this possible would just be a 12-month rolling ranking. And when a senior leaves college tennis, that's when you remove them from the ranking. But I don't know why we reset every September. Like, to me, I wouldn't do that. Well, it's just an NCAA rule, but I agree with you. That used to be an NCAA rule. Things are changing so fast. Why couldn't we change that? That's right. I think that another thing that is just an NCAA rule that we could change is that it's only look at college results as to try to figure out the best 64. You know, why do we have to do that? Well, that's why, because we've always done it that way. That used to be an NCAA rule, but maybe we could change that because, for example, you know, Draxel is for sure one of the best, you know, uh, five guys, 15 guys in college. My guy, Alex Rico, is fantastic fall. Yeah, he's 102. There's not no possibilities 102. Yeah. You put in everybody's results in all the different levels you can play. You could probably come up with a, a reasonable field, uh, you know, that looked at results as opposed to just an NCAA sanctioned results. So to add to that, since we've opened Pandora's box, you could look at pro results. You could look at UTR and factor those in as well. But that leads to the broader philosophy here, which is, are the college tennis rankings supposed to be a measure of results in college? Or are the college tennis rankings supposed to be an accurate reflection? Who are the best players playing college tennis? And I know that's that's a broad question. Yeah, yeah. where are you on that? I mean, I could see both sides of it. I would, off the top of my head, I haven't spent a lot about it, but off the top of my head, I would phrase it like it's a ranking of the best guys that are playing college tennis. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like not necessarily, okay, I don't know who was one after the fall. That's kind of how unimportant it is. But I think it should be the best player in college, not who did the best at the All-American. And I value the All-American super highly but you know it's just silly to say that Draxel's results Rico's results don't count because they weren't sanctioned by the NCAA that's would be where I would fall yeah I would completely agree with you there and talking about one of the guys on your team here this is how we can pivot back to Arkansas tennis uh you look at what Alex Rico was able to do here over the fall and he you know makes a final of a 25k and you know just earns wins i think at what was it four consecutive results down the seasons or down the pro season's home stretch and again winning on the pro circuit that should matter he's now a top 1000 atp player to your point i am sure there are not 102 college tennis players with better rankings right now than his you you look at last season's results obviously the number for him from a singles perspective i believe it was 7 and 12 overall in dual matches on the year that's not reflective of his performance but talk about the sacrifice that you alluded to he made last season for the rest of your team well yeah you know the college tennis works where um you know if your number 1's out the other 
six guys, the other six positions get worse if you move everybody up. And we were putting him in matches where, you know, he knew, well, you know, usually I can beat this guy, but I'm not going to be at 100%. I still have a chance to win. Uh, he played a lot of matches like that. And um, his results, you know, in the ranking suffered because of it. But we were able to be competitive in some matches that we wouldn't have been competitive in. Uh, and then when he got more healthy, uh, like he, he had match point against uh, the guy that was the SEC player of the year from Texas A&M. You know, he played close matches when he was healthy because he'd taken so many hits to his confidence by playing when he wasn't healthy or as healthy as he could be. So uh, he, it, and it, that was why the season was so enjoyable for me was because the other kids appreciated it on our team. I appreciated it. And he almost won and did win some matches when he was playing, you know, 50%. So that's what team tennis is about, you know, sacrificing and, you know, you're giving one for the Gipper, or, you know, winning one <laughs> as they, they yeah. used to say. Absolutely. And, you know, again, he wasn't the only one. I want to talk about the jump Nico made last season as well, because for him, 12 and nine in dual matches, eight and five and number three. And again, he's one of those few guys, when you look at your roster this season, one of the seniors on your team, one of the guys who have a full year of college tennis, at least under your belt. Yes, those six freshmen got to play, but this is their first full year. What clicked for him last season? What have you seen from him this fall? Yeah, yeah he had a an up and down fall, like he put a little, he, you know, the All-American, he didn't have a good All-American. He got beat uh, pretty badly uh, by a, a good Ohio State player. But then he beat uh, Kirschheimer here, who's 500 ATP in the future. Uh, he won um, 15,000 in doubles here. So he obviously had a good fall and he had a good year last year. He was, you know, top two in junior college before he came. Um, he, you know, has a good French tennis background, something that I know something about. So I believed in him, you know, from the beginning. He doesn't look like a really good player. He is a really good player. Um, got a lot better. And I expect that he's going to have uh, – I'd be surprised if he wasn't one of the best 100 guys in college this this year. Yeah. And obviously, again, those two, he, uh, Alex, those are really your seniors on the roster. I, I think Josh, obviously, in there as well would be another one. But I do want to talk about that freshman class last season. And in particular, you look at, at a guy in Alex Buchan who, you know, last season playing at the three, four singles spot, goes six and eight overall in dual matches. You look for him this fall. I believe he led your team in singles victories, eight and three overall. You know, what growth? We'll start with him. How did playing, you know, top half of the lineup last year shape his freshman season? And results-wise, looks like he's ready to make that sophomore jump. So further clarification is that I, I think you're falling for the Coach Jackson spin a little bit. <laughs> Those guys were that, you know, like that COVID year didn't count against them. Sure. So we had two guys that came in in January mm -hmm. and then had guys from the year before who had played, Bukan being one of them, but last year they were still counted as a freshman. So that's not your fault, that's my fault, but I'm trying you know, to make the, make, uh, the Razorbacks look better. No, but, but to that point even, does that first year count? Because it's like you got yeah, a fall, it, and then you yeah, got a month. Really, yeah, but you played, you know, yeah, like played number six against Ole Miss, yeah. got crushed, like, at, you know, <laughs> he, he was backing up playing from the fence, playing a six, seven guy, who, you know, he, this kid was a good player on clay. Well, look, we're not playing on clay, son. Like, if the guy's going to ask you, you can't, you, you can't back up. 
you know, okay, he learned that the first year and he got the results from it last year where, you know, he played closer to the baseline, he defended better, he didn't panic so much when guys were screaming in his face. Uh, you know, he won our regional this fall and was top 25 after the fall. He beat a good player from Columbia uh, out at the, in San Diego. So he had a good fall. He's made a he's made a big jump and we expect him to be able to contribute. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was excellent this fall. Clearly, I think there was a bunch of guys and you look across the board, 40 and 28 overall from your team. Uh, again, looking at this massive uh, class of sophomores, juniors, freshmen, you know, this group, we'll say, we'll call them then at this point. That's the meat of the lineup, right? And a lot of those guys got playing experience last season. What were the priorities, the focuses for you this fall? Uh, we wanted to see improvement. You know, we, we had a good fall. Uh, you know, we had three different guys that won 15,000s in doubles at Burdett, uh one at um, at Ohio State, and obviously Rico and Rousset won he, uh, at one here in Fayetteville. Uh, Rico had a good fall, uh, but we had a lot of results in doubles, like where uh, we had both teams in the final of the regional. Uh, we had uh, six different guys get ATP points in doubles. Um, so that's kind of what we wanted to see. Was we we have a pretty unproven roster below Bukan, let's say, and we wanted to try to establish a little bit in the fall, you know, because we, we play a monster schedule and a monster conference. You know, we got 71 ATP points, singles and doubles in the fall, okay, which sounds really nice. You know, Kentucky got 225. <laughs> so, you know, like uh, we had a good fall, uh, but we, we better. Otherwise, uh, we're going we're gonna to take it on the nose a lot. Yeah, no, and again, looking at your team last season, you know, I don't think the stats tell the complete story, but, you know, you had one singles flight where you guys were over 500. That's the number three singles position. Obviously, you had to get clever in finding your ways to four different points. I'm sure I don't have to tell you how important that doubles point is, but you look last season for your team. You played nine different teams throughout the course of the year. For the record, that's roughly 71st percentile across the nation. It's typically somewhere between that six to nine five to eight range in terms of teams was that you searching for pairings was that injury related you know are what are your doubles you know what were the principles for last season yeah it, it was both you know rico was in and out a lot and we had a lot of different options and honestly i didn't know what our best options were so we were just searching and you know it's probably going to be similar this this spring where we have many options but I know more now what we have and what we don't have, how to, uh, you know, what guys can and can't do. We, we've got like five, like, you know, we've got five teams that had uh, top 25 results, let's say, in college. You know, so we've got some options in doubles, and that makes the coaching uh, fun. And, uh, you know, I like to do it, so I'm looking forward to seeing if we can win some doubles points. Do you call them Team Rico Nico? Like, I just feel like that's yeah. very easy off the tongue. Uh, I, our stringer calls them Team Eco. <laughs> yeah, it's it's much easier. Uh, no yeah. doubt about that. And, yeah, you mentioned it. You know, Oscar and Ricardo, 6-3, and three, and Adrian and Melvin, 7-2. and two. Still, you did play 9 again this fall. I'm curious, and this is totally nerding out, but we, we've gotten there at this point, so it's fine. Um, you know, the, the serve and volley 
in terms of teaching it in doubles because I know 80s, 90s, early 2000s, you're just doing it. First serve, second serve, right. that was the principles. Have you de-emphasized that in coaching doubles and how have your the way you coach doubles changed over the years? Yeah, you are nerding out and I love the question. And I have a stock answer that I give a lot, you know, a lot to, you know, coaches sort of my age that they come watch you play and say, what the heck's going on out there? Nobody's serving in volley and, you know, which is just a cardinal sin if you played, you know, if you're Steve Denton, you know, like you possibly have imagined play and serve and stay back. But the fact is there's multiple ways to play doubles now. There's multiple guys playing the ATP finals that stay back. There are guys that serve in volley. Uh, we emphasize it more uh, now than before in terms of we, we'll have a segment of practice that serve in volley every practice because there's uh, the only way to, to learn how to do it is do it. And you're not a lot of the kids are not going to try it in the matches because they're trying to win too much. Uh, they know how, like Alex Rico, uh, he's developed the ability to serve in volley some now. He's better serving and staying back, but that's just because we're, we're practicing it all the time. So um, I learned as a women's coach in, you know, the 80s that there was more than one way to play doubles. You know, like we had the NCAA champions in doubles and women, they're serving in volley in every point. But the number three team was not serving in volley in. And my mentor told me, look, you can try to have them serve volley. You're just going to lose all the time. <laughs> and I think that's a lot men's doubles now, too. If you force guys to do things that they can't do, it's kind of silly. So we try to um, have a, a broad picture of different ways to play doubles and, you know, try to learn from the pros and, and uh, work at it that way. It's, I love doubles, and it's, it's more interesting now than ever because there's a lot more ways to play. Mm -hmm. And I think I've, I've referenced this before for listeners, but, you know, there's the Malcolm Gladwell theory, 10,000 hours, you practice anything enough time, you master it. Tennis epitomizes that theory to an extent. With that in mind, and I know it's an NCAA edict, and again, you've seen this rule change over the years, but, you know, with the fall and particularly just the way the tennis schedule is that the three weeks before the start of the dual match season are a dead period, that's just a big, you know, middle finger from the NCAA to college tennis, but... Is the eight-hour rule, you know, the 25 competitive dates, is that reflective, those numbers of the modern, you know, physical demands of the sport? How frequently are you in a position at this point of the year where a guy will come to you and say, Coach, can you work with me for an hour? And you have to be like, I can't. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. There's two sides to it. He said, yeah, I think those rules are outdated and, you know, it's not helpful. Um, I understand you know, and they're basically were football rules so that you wouldn't be watching 40 hours of film a week. You know, it wasn't for the tennis or golf guy that wanted to work on his driver or his serve, whatever. Uh, but then I think a lot of a lot of us coaches, uh, we sort of hide behind that, uh, you know, well, I can't work with you because, you know, we got the 28-hour rule, the 8-hour rule. You know, you have, a, you have recruits sometimes that go, yeah, I was at, you know, some academy and I was practicing, you know, six hours a day. Yeah, I think that's a bluff too. You know, we practice four hours a day. We can practice 20 hours a week. If you do it at the right intensity, I think that's, you know, it's going to be hard for pros to practice too much uh, more than that, especially if those pros also had to go to go to a few classes. And also if those pros were 19 years old, that probably date some girls and, you know, have a school life. So I, I don't really, I think that's a little bit of an excuse that uh, coaches, us coaches may maybe use that we probably shouldn't. 
Fair. I, I appreciate that argument. My thing is a kid should never be told, no, your coach can't coach you right now. Like that is why he came to college to work. You know, he came to Arkansas to work with Andy Jackson. And for uh, – you just would think in the modern era there's a compliance officer or a compliance form because nowadays your students know your compliance officers. Like they're interacting with them. They know their faces. They know their names. You would think there could be a trust there to say, no, 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 no. I am requesting this. Like, let me fill out the form that says this is from me, not from Coach Jackson. That, to me, is the unacceptable part. I agree with you. And, you know, like we, you know, I'm an old coach, so I know, you know, if you want an individual you uh, that's not scheduled by me, you've got to send me an email, even, even if you're standing in my office, because I know, like all season coaches know, that – if a guy doesn't play and, you know, his dad gets mad at you and the next thing you know, you're going to be in the compliance office, uh, you know, and they're going to be trying to get you that you're making a problem. You better have your email that, that he was requesting it to. But, you know, like I think that there's always going to be, you know, uh, you can't really legislate all that. Like I'm against like uh, just the basic principle, the way we do things in NCAAs, especially if you got a football rule. <laughs> that's going to men's tennis that, or women's tennis, golf. It, that, that doesn't, it just doesn't, you know, it's a skill sport. You've got to practice, you know, but hey, they also are the ones that are paying our salaries. So very, thank you. Very true. Yeah, no, I agree. And again, I, I got to get down to campus because I there's many things I want to see about the Arkansas tennis facility. I also need to see the track building so badly because if I had that it's, facility, I'd be there every day if I could. It's uh, as nice as you think it could possibly be. It's double that nice. Yeah, I, it's got to be Anytime you want to come, anytime you want to come, it's only Razorbacks. We'll, we'll say, yeah. Oh, that's too kind of you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I'll be down there. I promise. Well, you know, with that in mind, I want to talk about a couple of the freshmen you brought in and talk about recruiting in general. And, you know, okay. let's start with Jacob, with Oscar, uh, both in uh, on campus this year. You know, how they acclimated themselves to the team. Yeah, like uh, Oscar – uh, came at maybe a 13 UTR, one of the better guys in Spain. And he had a fall sort of like that. He uh, pre-qualified at the All-American. He beat uh, Brian Shee, you know, you know, uh, two and two. Brian, did, I don't think he played very well in this one. So he had a he had a good fall. He got to the regional final in the doubles, uh, played a good match against uh, the Spanish boy that's at Virginia that did well in their challenger while close. You know, so he had a good fall. The real, uh, but honestly, we kind of expected that he was going to be a contributor this year, and he had a good fall. Uh, but the one who really impressed us was Sweeney, who we thought was more uh, maybe going to be a project, who I think is um, an SEC contributor the first year, which we weren't really you know expecting. Big, big serve, big forehand, really good athlete. Uh, you know, so um, that's nice to build your program sometimes you got to get lucky and we're hoping we got lucky with Sweeney yeah no I mean look looking at the roster looking at the UTRs it's clear your team has depth right it feels like you have nine guys who could play you know Alex probably at top but then you could pick and choose you know you could let the other team choose you could do a lawless lineup mm-hmm. and just however that works that works out and obviously you're going to need that depth as you look at the schedule this year kickoff weekend very creative of you coaches mississippi state kentucky alabama arkansas because we weren't going to see that enough this season but that's the kickoff weekend for you guys you also have an additional uh you know at oklahoma you're playing drake you're at tulsa i see ucf on the schedule as well a couple others mixed in 
you know what what goes into you you know that's a tough schedule what goes into you putting that schedule to the, together are you guys playing the blue and gray i feel like you always play blue gray uh i no we don't play the blue gray we i played it all the time when i was at mississippi state that's what it was yeah since i've been at mississippi state uh, and the rules changed once I stopped playing because then it went to a 500 rule and the dates came down, you know, so it made it more di- the, the blue gray used to be phenomenal. I mean, awesome event, but it's harder to play, yeah. like not to go into the, not to nerd out, but you know, a lot of times it would be, uh, you know, Dick Leach and the U- USC Trojan were there and like it was a national event, but it's, it's not the same now, but anyway, schedule f- we put our schedule together like every other SEC team does that we're trying to maximize our opportunities to try to make the NCAA and get a high ranking, get a high seed. At the same time, you've got to balance that out with uh, trying to understand no matter how good you are, you might be close to being under 500. And if you're 24 in the country and you're 13 and 14, you're not in. So you got to balance that off. And you know, it's not an easy thing to do these days to put schedules together balancing those two objectives well you alluded to a rule that i've asked every coach about and i can already tell this is going to be a fun answer but the 500 rule was waived last season that's an ncaa rule i know but i mean you've been an sec coach your entire career is that a rule you would like to see go away permanently yeah it's like one of the worst rules ever (laughs) devised you know it's like if i tell you alex all right Last year, Alex played 25 matches all against Federer, and he went. He won 10, and he lost 15. And this other school played, uh, you know, like a, a person with a 10 UTR and went 15 and 10. You're telling me you're going to take the one that was 15 and 10 over the 10 UTR guy? I mean, analytics is not that difficult. One loss is fantastic. But there's things that are who you play is pretty important. So I think that the rule was for show, mostly for football, to have winning records or non-losing records for bowl games, and just doesn't work uh, for tennis or basketball or any other sport. Like analytics, you know, like it got to go deeper than one loss record. I'm sorry to be so opinionated, but, you know, it's something that I've seen hurt our league, you know, like that uh, so drastically uh, because now you've got to play a lot of matches that, are just going to hurt your team uh, you want to do what's best for your team we'll never apologize for a strong opinion that's what we try to get here that's exactly what we're looking for but to your <laughs> point it evokes the memory was it the 2018 arkansas women's team that played the six matches in one day or whatever that was and it's just like look within the state of the rule you have 25 competitive dates you have to get over 500 there's nothing illegal about it but it's very very dumb that we'd ever put a team in that position to have to do that sort of thing and to your point i mean look the 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 problem is there are there are non-power five schools right that get hurt by it and i still think you look at the schedules you know you're playing the tulsas of the world the drakes of the world the middle tennessees of the world that are in the mix for those final spots i guess does it hurt the non i mean it clearly hurts the non-power five but it, it's similar to the rankings like do you want the best 64 teams or do you want the most feel-good 64 well i think there's where you like it's not a question of who it hurts or who it helps it's mm-hmm. the best teams or not yeah, I agree. And let's oh, like go. okay, if you're saying that it it hurts the non-power fives, are you saying that the non-power five aren't as good? I'd say John Roddick would say, no, I don't. Don't worry about me. I'm going to do okay. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Memphis, I think, is going to do okay. Tulsa's going to do okay. I think there's lots of examples where you don't have to beat power five, and 
uh, NCAA tennis to to do well. You know, should uh, the best teams be excluded because of a random, poorly thought out rule? I think no. Yeah, I agree with you. And so, you know, again, that, but of course, that's an NCAA rule. Sadly, only so much we can do about that. But of course, you know, again, with all of this in mind, uh, some fun questions, some big picture uh, to end things. I do the one last Arkansas specific in. You know, I, I want to give this opportunity to every coach because, unfortunately, so many parents, fans, prospective players haven't had the chance to hear your voice yet. Give me the pitch. Why should I come down to Arkansas? Why should I be a Razorback moving forward? Hey, look, Alex, we're the Razorbacks, right? We play in the SEC uh, as good or better tennis conference in any place in the country. Mm-hmm. You think you know Arkansas because you've got some stigma, but you come and you see the place that is here. It's a phenomenal place. Our facilities are phenomenal. I've got some experience. We're, we're building a program where we're going to be one of the best 25 programs in the country and try to uh, build on that. You're going to love it here. you got to come for a visit. You come for a visit, we're going to be able to sign Mm-hmm. I love it. And further, I feel like a school like Arkansas where, again, there is no professional sports. And so in the town, Arkansas sports is everything. Do you think NIL affects recruiting moving forward in tennis? And, I again, do you think a school like Arkansas, I feel like it has to be perfectly positioned for something like this? I agree with you. I think there's going to be a massive change in college athletics, including college tennis, over the next two years. And I think the coaches that – figure it out and are creative with it are going to be ahead of the game. And I don't know how it's going to be, but I'm positive it's going to change drastically. Mm-hmm. It Good positively or negatively? Unclear still? So I try to stay away from that, you know, like, sure. you know, like, you know, theoretically, I don't know, but uh, it, it's going to, it's going to change it. And my job is to make it positive for the Razorbacks. I like to hear that. Well, then speaking of another change and, you know, I had Coach Cohen over at Oklahoma point out to me that transferring has always been higher amongst tennis than it has been in other sports in uh, collegiate athletics. That said, and obviously it's pronounced right now with the five years of high school graduates within college tennis, but I'm curious recruiting wise how you balance these two things of recruiting for the future, bringing in, you know, 40 year players to your program versus knowing I can go find a five, I can go find a six out there on the transfer portal if you'd like. Um, in the 90s, I figured out that it was much better to have a 21-year-old French guy mm-hmm. and at Mississippi State than try to recruit Mike Sell, who was good, but it wasn't going to come anyway. Mm-hmm. So, you know, right now, is it better to get a 21-year-old transfer that's winning at – that's undefeated at Florida at four over the 18-year-old that's quarters of Kalamazoo? I think that – the answer is pretty obvious, and I certainly think it's better. You know, the best best way to predict whether or not you can be successful in college, if you're already successful in college, you don't really have to make too much of a projection. Now, that's not also not to say that the 18-year-olds are not super important. I mean, there's some that are really good. But there's a reason why rookies don't do, do well in the NFL, and there's a reason why 18-year-old college tennis players generally are at a disadvantage. You get better as you get older. Yeah, I agree with you there. And you've alluded to, you know, the international aspect of recruiting now. It's a necessity. And I think you alluded to this earlier. But would you like to see the, you know, NCAA, US, NCAA champion receive a wild card regardless of nationality? 
I would because uh, I'm an American. I love the USTA. I, I want American tennis to be the strongest. I think that the thing that the USTA could do to help themselves more than anything in development of college tennis, just give it to everybody. Yeah. Then you can be assured that, 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 you know, that this property that somebody owns or, you know, that it's in America, man, you just get so, like every kid just tries so hard to get that wild card. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I know that they should be trying that hard. Like my guys, if Rico is going to try to win the NCAA, you know, and I'm going to maybe tell him, well, look, you know, we won't get one to the U.S. Open, but we'll try to get the French Federation to do something for you. But it, but I can tell you that that's not always the case, and it would help college tennis like like it used to be. Like it, um, in the old days, it was just given to the, the NCAA champion, and I think that's when college tennis was at its strongest. That's when American tennis was at its strongest, and I don't think that was a coincidence. Yeah, I could not echo that sentiment more. You can't tell me that Stella Perez Somariba and Paul Jubb aren't representatives Thank of college you. tennis as much as, yeah, any American. And so I've, I very much agree with that perspective. With that said, let's get funky here. No ad scoring. Has it grown on you? I mean, has it grown on me? I mean, I went from no ad scoring, regular scoring, no ad scoring. <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, I'm used to it. it. Every point's more valuable. It's probably very good for development of college tennis. Makes the matches quicker. So I would say, yeah, grown on. Does it compromise the development of players? No. Makes every point more uh, important. And I think it helps the development of players. There's bigger. There's more big points, more drastic swings. Uh, I think it helps you rather than hurts your development. I agree with you. With all of that said, let's get particularly funky. In terms of the format, obviously a big conversation. How do we get college tennis on TV? And regardless of your sport, the key is try and get it within a two-hour window. You know, you can push up against three. Try not to push four or five as college tennis matches can so frequently do. That said, you know, the 40 minutes of a college tennis doubles point to me is the best property in all of tennis. It's just, you know, it's a rat race. It's Russian roulette. Every point matters. The energy is insane. That said, the next hour doesn't matter. Like, respectfully, one coach framed it to me as you're giving fans an opportunity and a reason to leave when, like, you know, the start of the first set's. It, it, they're not as engaging as the end of the doubles point. There's that big drop off. I'm curious if you feel that way as well. Yeah, I feel that way. Like in terms of if you don't understand tennis, yeah. uh, you know, you don't want to watch the first sets. Okay. But like, if I go to the NCAA final, I love tennis. I love college tennis. I'm going to watch the doubles. And I know for, for darn sure <laughs> the first 45 minutes of those first sets are drastically important. But if you don't know anything about college tennis, you think that they're not important. So I would disagree with you there on one level, particularly uh, the more expert you are, or the more nuanced you are, you are going to watch the whole match. I'm going to watch the whole match. I mean, I understand I'm different than most people, but like, do I get your point? Yeah. I, I, I generally get your point that, um, yeah, there's a drop off of uh, excitement on the superficial level, but the best properties are the grand slams. They're not, you know, you go to the Grand Slam, you get there at 10 in the morning at Wimbledon and queue up at, you know, from seven and you go home at nine at night. You know, I'm not sure that I buy into all this thing of, you know, everything has to be an hour and a half or we're not going to get any following. I like that. I mean, look, as a 
as someone who tunes into every second of every dual match, I'm obviously I'll watch forever. But you're right; it's it's the idea of so. For I guess the first pronoun I know they used to do this. Would you switch the order of singles and doubles again? Because the idea of having that 40-minute rat race be at the end, now that's fascinating. And the problem is you'd say, well, you're not going to play it unless, you know, this, if the score doesn't need it. You make every doubles match worth one point again. Play best of nine instead of best of seven. Like, to me, that is one built-in solution to make, you know, again, the energy. Because the first 10 minutes of anything, you're just intrigued. The, pro- the difference would be at the end of singles, you know, there's not this layoff. It's that you get the rat race of doubles coming up next. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit lost. So you, you say it would be better to put the doubles at the end now after like after yeah, and play them all worth one point instead of just the doubles point. And you and you would play like for one set. Each. Yeah, one set still. OK, well, that, we've done that before. And, mm-hmm. and that's super exciting. But the count, the, the con to that is that, you know, if it's not three all, nobody's going to want to play the doubles. Mm-hmm. And. Back in the day, like Coach Brandy's teams at Florida, you know, they would they they, they would go the whole season. They, they would never have played a doubles point until they played Stanford in the finals of this, and Stanford the same way. Yeah. And obviously not that drastic, but, you know, Ohio State wouldn't be playing many men's doubles points this year. Sure. They got to where they really wanted it. So that's the downside to that. Uh, the upside is that, well, yeah, then you only play it when it counts, and that obviously is, is good. I don't, I don't have the answer. I see both sides of this one. You, what about simultaneous start? One doubles flight, four singles. You're out on that. I, I don't like that because I I want to. You know, I think that 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 sort of uh, eliminates some beauty in our sports and makes the roster smaller. Mm-hmm. Like I think that we should be cutting things, you know, ourselves. Like simultaneous, I think is dangerous uh, uh, for our sport. I I would be against it. Uh, what about substitutions? You get one sub per match. You can have a closer on your team. Imagine what you can do with the fans. The scoreboard's going off. You get the lights going. You bring in the closer. Anything, you know, like I'm an egotistical coach. So <laughs> anything that makes the coaching more important, I would be for. So I would say go go for a substitution. Anytime that you're going to give Ty Tucker or Roland Thornquist another wild card to do something i'd be for yeah which what about a a coaching timeout 90 seconds any point in the match i know there's been a moment where you've been like i would like to call a time oh yeah but uh alex you have you know that there are coaching timeouts it's called just uh you know go to the bathroom (laughs) for the umpire so you mean legal coaching you can bring in all six guys you're stopping on every court and you're talking to them give them a yell get back out there again i'd be for that that would because that would be coaching tactic there. I would be for it. Okay, this would be the ultimate thing you can do to heighten the importance of the coach. Get rid of the coin toss. We can do so much better than that. One point, drop and hit, head coach versus head coach, winning coach decides <laughs> serving arrangements everywhere. Well, uh, you know, I'm 60. When I was... <laughs> Mississippi State, I would be for that. I'm against that now. <laughs> so the rule is if you're over 50, you can have the assistant play. That's fine. I'm for, okay, so a deal. Yeah, I'll, or I'm down we do rock, paper, scissors, just because you know you're having a team <laughs> meeting where it's like, look, paper's the 40% play. <laughs> like, we, if you're not throwing paper, I'm pulling you. Um, and so that would, just so I could hear that meeting, um, yeah, I would be in favor of all of these little things. But no, it's just, again, do you, do, I mean, you've seen the growth of college tennis. Do we worry about the format too much and not just focus on the product? I think it no. I I think that uh, over you know forty years the format's gotten better. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, have we always managed it the best? Well, I mean, obviously we feel like we could manage it better. Like, you know, it took too many polls, took too long, you know, but it seems like that the things that we've come up with in college tennis are being ad adopted at the professional level. You know, the, the, the four game sets, there's no ad scoring. They haven't yet gone to the, the no lead rule. Um, you know, like I, I think that we were uh, maybe sell ourselves short as innovators in college tennis, I think we've been pretty innovative over my 40 years. Uh, not, not me being innovative, but ITA or ITCA back in the day. I think we've been pretty innovative and are at the cutting edge. I hope we stay there. Yeah, I would eventually we'll get to lawless lineups where it's just like away team submits, home team, you match up however you want. Let's just yeah. get home victory. Now you're going right in my alley. Like, you know, like I, I definitely agree with this. Yeah. You know? The same way with, you know, there's an ITA rule that says, you know, there's no matching up in college tennis where there's not a top 25 coach that thinks that there isn't matching up in college tennis mm -hmm. and that, that it's a skill, you know. So anyway, yeah, I would be against, <laughs> I mean, I would be for like anything that sort of like was more honest. Mm -hmm. I would make this joke and I will make this joke to his face. When JJ Tracy starts the year at six, that's where it's just like, come on, like, what are we doing here? Well, look, like there's nobody that does a better job in college tennis than Ty Tucker. Yeah. There's no chance of JJ Tracy starting at six this year. <laughs> no chance. Okay. I saw him up close and personal against Rico. Rico played a really good match, the all American five in the third, and he played good. If that's Ohio state six, right. Uh, yeah. It can ship the NCAA trophy to Columbus, right? Yeah. That's different than if they play him at six, okay? But he's not going to play. He's too valuable. He's too good. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I'm just, you know, Trotter had a pretty good fall. And I was laughing as I say it. Um, I like Trotter, but, you know, I like Trotter. Yeah. But he's going to win as much as J.J. Tracy. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> though, for sure. And, again, uh, in your tenure last, I suppose, SEC question for you here, best conference in college tennis? You've been there 40 years. Well, it's the deepest without a doubt. Mm -hmm. you know, nobody can argue against the height that, you know, the top level of the pack, you know, the pack, you know, Stanford, UCLA, and USC, just look at the national championships. Uh, but, like, are, are we the deepest? Yeah. Are you, you excited know? to bring in Oklahoma and Texas? Oh, for uh, the SEC it's and, and for Arkansas, it's unbelievable because Oklahoma and Texas are good tennis schools, and now they're right in our geographical region where we kind of have felt like in tennis a little bit of like, you know, the little sisters of the poor off way off to the west where now we've got some built-in rivalries like Mississippi State had with Ole Miss or Florida has with Georgia or Tennessee has with Kentucky. I love it. Last two questions for you. I can't let you leave without a Michael Redlicky story. I happen to know the Redlickys a little bit. One of my favorite families. Just fascinating. Give me a Michael Redlicky story. I know there's at least one. No, I, uh, you, you put me on the spot there quick, really quick because I could probably talk for three more hours on <laughs> on, uh, on on my, you know, Redlicky. So I don't have a – you'd have to ask me a question. I don't really know that I could come up with the – you know, a great, uh, great story straight. Like this, this fall, he wanted to know, like he played our future. He wanted to know if, if I thought he could be top hundred, you know, I was like, yeah, Michael, and I've told you, I've told you that like 7,000 times, you know, <laughs> of course you could be like, you know, you could be way better than top 100, but that's not to say that it's easy or he's doing something wrong, mm -hmm. but I love this kid, you know, yeah. like he's 
a phenomenal talent and he's not too old. Hopefully he's going to, to do something for American tennis. People love Medvedev and Zirev and Hercots, the height, the fluidity, but the original motto of that body was Damajan and Redlicky. Like the people that know, know that those two were the original six, seven fluid movers. And you're just like, this doesn't make sense. You're not supposed to be able to do that at his size. And yeah, like I say, you know, talking about Mike, there's not many six nine smart, fast yeah. left-handers. <laughs> yeah, and he right. is. And that family had two. And you know, two called, Martin's not really fast, let's say, <laughs> uh, but he's damn good. You know, and he had two in one family. You know, mm-hmm. um, my good friend and. Uh, Sylvain Guichard was their coach there in Chicago. And Sylvain and I go back, uh, you know, 30 years. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And all right, with all that said, my final question for you, when fans watch your team compete this season, what do you want the takeaway to be? Man, these guys fight hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's simple. I love it. Well, coach, I've got plenty. Look, I can get into 2000s Florida. We can talk 1990. Well, you know, I didn't ask about it. I'll sneak in one more because obviously 1990, you know, part. Yeah, exactly. Uh, You know, 1990, I believe, I want to say five, six. Is that when Simmons and when you're part of, obviously, is it 95? Uh, For what? What do you mean? NCAA doubles champions. I want to say 94, Jock Simmons and Lamont Mikulard won the NCAA at Notre Dame. That's right. Yeah, and I'm curious what that does for a program like Mississippi. You know, what that does for you early in your career as well to coach a national championship winning team, to get teams that are winning for the semifinals. You know, what does that do for a young coach early in their career? So really, you know, in 89, Jackie Holden and Claire Pollard won the NCAA for Mississippi State, and, and I got to be their coach that kind of established me as a college coach, and I'm mm-hmm. very grateful to, to those those uh, women for doing that. 94, we've been top 10 for three, four years. We've lost to Notre Dame two years in a row, round of 16. We were really – and we had phenomenal falls, number one players. But, you know, we were getting beat in the round of 16. So 94 really put us over the hump there because we made the semis of the team to the eventual champions, USC, in a pretty decent match. Uh, Jock and, and Mikelard won the doubles. We had two teams in the quarter, two singles guys in the quarters of the singles. From there on, Mississippi State, the perception of Mississippi State as a team that legitimately could compete for the national championship was established. So, yeah, it's the same. You know, we established that at Mississippi State. We established it at Florida. It took Brian Shelton to get them over to hump, but it was established while we were there that we could do it. And we haven't established it yet at Arkansas, but that's what our goal is. Did you know Claire was going to be a college tennis coach? Uh, Claire, uh, we had a lot of individual meetings to try to uh, talk to girls about what their strengths were. Claire was always her intelligence, and that's the God's honest truth. First thing I say, look, you know, Jackie Holden was a phenomenal athlete. That's her strength. You're a, you, you see things and you're smart on the tennis court like uh, nobody that I've ever been around. I was pretty young at the time. But as it turned out, you know, I was just uh, had no idea how right I was. This person is phenomenally intelligent, phenomenally hardworking, and you can see her record. Like you're a Big Ten fan, right? So, <laughs> you know, so, you know, like she, wow, she can really coach. No, yeah. I mean, for a while, she was just popping my Wolverines year after year after year. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Because she did she get the Mississippi State job right after you? 
Now, she was a uh, Mississippi State women's coach. Like, it was a strange deal while I was there because there was one coach. I was sort of like director of tennis, and then there was a women's coach, and I was the men's coach, you know, and then, then she went to Lamar, and then she went to Northwestern. Mm-hmm. It had to have been weird. I just can't imagine you'd be like, so – Coach Pollard, and you're just like, wait a second, this doesn't feel right. Yeah. Believe me, uh, you don't ever have to worry about Claire Pollard being able to defend herself or uh, from from Andy Jackson, <laughs> and then some. Believe it. Yeah, no, I love to hear. It. Well, Coach, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Sincerely appreciate you geeking out with me, and appreciate all of your support for what we're doing here uh, over the past couple of years. And you know, again, wishing you and your team safety, health, success throughout the course of 2022. And yeah, we'll have to have you back on the show again. All of us in the SEC are really grateful for all that you're doing for tennis. So thank you for uh, having me on. Yeah, I'm going to keep Chris Hallyorse in check. Too much SEC love last season. I got to beat that. You know, like I called Chris after you guys kind of blew up the the Razorback making fun of us when we beat you. How how is it possible that Arkansas could beat A&M or or Tennessee? I didn't didn't like that. But he he took it so nicely. Like, you know, he just explained, no, we weren't really making fun of you. We we just thought, geez, it's not possible. Something had to have gone wrong for those Yeah. You know what I've realized now? And the problem is, thankfully, I, I think you've noticed I don't have an ego issue. Like, that's never going to be a problem. But nowadays, if I say something, I'm going to hear back about it. And I'm like, right. oh, and it's like, oh, no. I'm like, well, I got to be like, do I want to give this take? I really have to weigh it now. And I guess that's probably a good thing, net term. Oh, but yeah, like, because guys like me, like you may not think it, but guys like me, we're hanging. And and I really mean that. Like, I pay attention to what you say, what Chris says. Oh, you. And I'm just joking about it. But the guys that are, that are trying to be good in college tennis, you guys are a really important source of information, and it's taken seriously, I can promise you. I appreciate that. Well, with that said, I'm just going to start saying it at the end of every podcast. Arkansas will win the 2022 NCAA championship. I'm just going to keep – I'm talking about the women, though, not the men. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. right. We sure got a good women's coach. I can oh, say. my God. I am such a fan of Christina. Uh, that's that's a Yeah, that's a topic for another time, I suppose. But, Coach, thank you so much for taking the okay. time to chat. It was a real Have a good pleasure. day. You too. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.